Good evening. It's uh, such a privilege to be with amazing people who worship God. You guys are worshipers. And just to be in His presence with you, I was just uh, turning around. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old guy now. My back gets sore. So I had to just relieve my back because I knew that you were going to be sitting for the next 30 minutes and I'm going to be standing. So I had to try and get some, some release there. But just reflecting on my great God and in listening to the voices from behind me is the most thrilling thing I've ever experienced besides being in God's presence. Now, I've took many drugs <laughs> as a young man and uh, the, the, the presence of God just overwhelms everything. Every feeling that you could have, have ever experienced is, uh, is, cannot be compared to God's presence. We long to be with Him. One day we're going to be with Him face to face. Our great God, the one we worship and the one we bow down to, the one we love, the one we follow, the one we serve. And uh, I was just reflecting on my own salvation again. Sorry, I don't want to make it about me, but as I make it about me, you need to make it about you. Remember when you were saved. Uh, Ryan was reading a portion of scripture that said he died for the ungodly. That was me. I was ungodly. Wicked, dirty, rotten, stinky, smelling sinner. On the way to destruction and hell. And my great God in his mercy reached down and saved me from my wickedness and my debauched living. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. I love Jesus Christ like with my whole being. And I'm sure you do too. But he's not finished with us. There's others. <laughs> There's others that need to meet this incredible God. And so I'm going to talk about that tonight. Do you not have another message, Tony? Do you not have another message? Well, until you start living the message, I will keep preaching it. Until my brother is saved, my neighbors, my family, my friends, my colleagues, until they are saved, I will not pre stop preaching about the lost. Until your family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues are saved, I will not stop preaching about the importance of loving lost people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Amen? If you don't love the lost, you can't love Jesus. I'm sorry. You have to love those that are far from Christ. If you don't, you're not yet saved. And tonight, I will lead you to the Lord. Even if you're an elder at Cornerstone. Especially if you're an elder and you don't love the lost. So we're having these equips all over the country. I was in Cape Town with Marcus last night. And, and uh, what's his name? Guy from One Life. <laughs> I know him very well. Grant, of course. And we had a wonderful time. Tonight, we are hosting in four ways. We are hosting a, an equip there. It's all packed out and it's great to be 
together with you. It's such a privilege for me to share with you. What qualifies me to talk to you? Well, I'm a grandpa of five. Is there anyone, is there anyone here that has more grandchildren than five? Put up your hand. There's very few of you. So you are in fact more qualified than me. However, Marcus asked me and not you. <laughs> and so I want to share, I'm scared to share this because I'm not very into strategies and methods and formulas and stuff like that. I don't like those. I hate rules. I was a rule breaker before I was met Christ and I spent a lot of time doing prison ministry on the wrong side <laughs> of the jail cell. In fact, God spoke to me in a prison cell. I was in, you know why I was in that cell? None of your business. <laughs> but I saw a scripture on a wall and I, it gripped me. The scripture jumped off the wall and penetrated my soul and I was never the same again in a prison cell. I haven't been back to prison yet. This time it will be for righteous sakes. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to share some strategies. Now, when it comes to reaching lost people, I'm going to share some strategies for churches and, and also for individuals. So every single one of us tonight that are present here, we are called to share the gospel with lost people. Every one of us are called to make disciples and the, the theme is a wide door for effective work has been opened. That's Paul talking in the book of Corinthians. He wants to go beyond where he had been. Because a, a door of ministry, effective ministry was open for what? To do what? To, to go speak to Christians. No, to plant churches. With what? With converts. Paul preached the gospel. People got saved and he established churches. And Marcus has, spoke to us last night about you know, reaching beyond our borders and planting churches with what? I'm yet to tell you with lost people that become Christ followers. And they're going to become Christ followers through our endeavors and our efforts. And so these strategies, we don't lean on them as much as we lean on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do stuff in spite of us. Knowing strategies or not knowing strategies. So we must, we must rely on the Holy Spirit first. But however, the Holy Spirit has given us a brain. He's given me and you talents and gifts and a personality and he wants to use that. And so, as much as we lean on and rely upon the Spirit of God, he's given us ways. He has ways. And we need to find his ways. He's given us, or our church and your church, whichever church you're from, a personality. There's a, there's a way that your church functions and it's beautiful. And God loves diversity. That's why there's so many. We're all different, aren't we? We're all different. Churches are all different. We don't want the same. And so God wants us to go beyond where we are at. If your church, friend, if you personally are not reaching lost people, something is wrong. Either you're doing something wrong or you're not doing something because Jesus came 
to seek and save the lost and he still wants to save the lost. And I, I don't want to brag in any way, but I want to use this as a, as a celebration. The last 18 months have been difficult. However, we've seen more people come to our church in the last 18 months than any other 18 month period in our 20 year existence. Go figure. Jesus is not on pause. The gospel is not on pause because there's a virus. Amen? We've baptized more people in the last 18 months than any other time. Not because we are clever or we are good. We expect people to be saved and we create opportunity. I don't know how you do it in these challenging times, but we've found a way. And it's our way. I want to tell you our way. Because it's our way. And if I tell you my way, you're going to judge me. And I don't want you to judge me because God's told me to do it like this or us to do it like this. And we have seen fruit. Your butt, Tony. No buts. No buts. We have dedicated more children in the last 18 months. What have people been doing besides watching Netflix? I've had three grandsons in the last 18 months. Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? My take is that Christ churches are good with Christians, but lousy at times with lost people. You see, I'm more into healthy church than church growth. I'm not into church growth strategies. I'm into healthy churches. So you could call this healthy church principles. Healthy churches are growing churches. And so I want to look at some ways we can be more effective in reaching lost people. We'll look at Jesus and some of the patterns that he followed. But I'd like to start with the first point saying that we, know, we need to know who we're trying to reach. Who are you trying to reach? I come from KZN. Um, I had a, a, a checkered past, not as bad as Marcus, but a checkered past and in drugs and rock and roll. And when I came to Joburg, people knew that and they said, you should go to Hilbra because there's, you can minister to the prostitutes and drug addicts in Hilbra, to which I said, God has called me to four ways. Now, four ways is quite a progressive, affluent area. Lots of rich people. God called me to the rich people of four ways. Not only them, but Predominantly, the people that live in four ways are rich in some degree. So the strategy that we would use in Hilbra is different to the strategy we would use in four ways. You with me? The people are different. The way you minister, the way you talk. Everything is different. Not that we, we, we're trying to flip and flop. We, we need to be authentic in who we are. The message stays the same, but the methods need to be relevant. When you pick a music style, you're telling people what kind of people you're trying to reach. You see, if you're trying to reach everyone, you probably won't reach anyone. Jesus had a specific evangelistic target. Matthew 15 verse 24, he says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the, sh the people of Israel. 
in the best church in the whole world. I say that to people. I'm, our church, for you, if you're in our church, it needs to be the best church in the world for you. If it wasn't for me, I would go look for another church. I'm married to the best woman in the whole world. If she's not the best, I wouldn't be married to her. Peter and Paul also understood this. In Galatians chapter two, it says, instead, they saw that God had given me, Paul is saying, the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Paul preached to the Gentiles. Peter preached to the Jews. We need to know who we're trying to reach. You see, people are different, aren't they? That's why we have so many different kinds of churches. I love watching people at an airport terminal. You just watch how people behave and react and what interests them. And, and I think as Christians, we should, we, should be, we should study a degree in anthropology, is it? Is that the study of the human being? We should be experts in how human beings behave and operate because we want to be effective in presenting the gospel to them. Meantime, most often we just vomit Bible on people, not understanding who they are, where they're from, what their interests are, what their challenges are, what they like, what they don't like. What kind of people live in your area? When we arrived in Johannesburg, from KZN, we went, one of our first trips was to Santon City. It was like the Mecca. But I was dressed in baggies, slip slops, and a tank vest. And everyone else was dressed like Santon people. We were right out with, we thought we better change our dress code because people think we look beach bums. Now I'm not saying you have to be fake here. Yeah? But radio stations try and reach a particular target. They're not trying to reach everyone. They, they know their demographic. The message stays the same, but the methods need to change. Now, I was telling the Cape Town guys last night, if they rocked up in their baggies and slip slops and four ways at a businessman's meeting, they most probably wouldn't be taken seriously. It's just, in the same way, if you, if the four ways people rock up in Belito at a beach party in their stilettos or German shoes, skinny jeans, designer top, and newly Botoxed forehead, I mean, I don't think they'll be taken seriously. I, I don't have anything, I don't have an issue with Botox. In four ways, when a man has Botox, we've called it Brotox. So I don't have an issue with it. If you want Botox, go for it. But, but no, you know, you need to adjust to who you're talking to. When we travel further up into Africa, we dress differently because uh, the folk there are more conservative and we dress differently because we're trying to be respectful and we don't want to hinder the gospel. Amen? And I've been there with some of the NCMI 
team and they're young guys and they've just got these jeans hanging halfway down their backside. So I want to kick them in the backside. You just say, oh, you're an old guy. You don't know the style. I don't care about the style. We're up further there and it's conservative and you're hindering the gospel. Pull your pants up, man. <laughs> Put on a proper shirt, you clown. I'm not saying we must be fake, friends. But we need to be respectful towards whom we're speaking to. Many times our dress code, our language can hinder the effectiveness of the gospel. So how do we define who we're trying to reach? Well, we we need to define our target geographically. So I lead a church in four ways. And let's say Ryan is in the church and his mom and dad visit from PE and uh, let's just hypothetically say that they love to talk and they get my attention and they burn my ear for the next half an hour, I won't let them. I will meet Ryan's mom and dad and respectfully speak to them and very pastorally let them know that I'll give them two minutes. And then why, am I being rude? No, no. I want to be effective. What good is it me trying, spending the next half an hour at the end of my meeting with Ryan's folks when there are people in the church that are visiting for the first time in our area that we can be effective in discipling? We need to be strategic. You see, our main target are those that live around us. That's our fishing pond. When we came to Joburg, we, drew a, a, we looked at the, the map we from KZN, you know, I went to the army in Potch and I used to AWOL and go to nightclubs in Hillbra and that's all I knew. So I got this map out and we, had the, we saw the ring road and we got hold of different denominations and church groupings and we tried to plot all as many churches as we, as we could. We looked for the least church area and we, we fell upon Centurion and as I was pondering and prayerfully considering Centurion, I saw this name four ways and it was like it almost jumped up and I said, Four Ways Community Church, here we come. That's how we planted Four Ways. I said to my wife, we better get to Four Ways and have a look. So we drew a 15 kilometer radius around Four Ways and that's our primary target group. We wanted to start home groups there. We wanted to live in that area. It was, it's very expensive to live, so it was difficult in the early days. We had three kids, we had to school, but we wanted to live in the area. We wanted to go to the gym and go to the shops and you know, wherever we, we were, we wanted to be able to bump into people that were in our church. We didn't live 20 kilometers away from the church that we were pastoring. That was our strategy. People choose churches today primarily on the basis of relationships and programs, not location. People say location, location, location. This is the, the strategic marketing, marketing gurus. We were given notice in our previous venue in, at the uh, Longmeadow Farm and we found a location in a shopping center and our church is above Hooters. My wife says, Tony, say it's besides Humble Harry's restaurant. Don't tell the folk it's above Hooters. Well, it is above Hooters. There was a bike shop, there was a Tattersalls, there was a tattoo shop, there was a smoke vaping shop and behind us was a weed shop. And we upstairs, the most unlikely venue. You will never succeed. Location, location, location. 
We started our first Sunday there with two meetings. It was an absolute holy chaos. The next Sunday, we went straight to three meetings. We just couldn't fit the people in. What about the grannies? Well, we'll carry them up the stairs. We've had so many kids, we carry them up, the babies and the moms and the dads, whoever we will carry. We've got some strong burkis there. They're happy to do it. Larger, the larger your church grows, the farther its reach will extend. But your primary strategy, now what has that got to do with me as an individual? Well, who are those closest to you? Don't go look for people. You don't have to hit the street. We've never done street evangelism. We've never done door-to-door evangelism. We've never done a crusade. I'm not saying these are bad things. We've never had to. We've never ever done Alpha. And we are seeing people saved, not because we're good. We have a strategy. We want to release everybody to be evangelists. But as the church grows, your reach will be, be bigger. But start with those that you know as an individual, your family members, your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends. You should know people that don't know Christ. If you don't know people that don't know Christ, then there's something wrong with you. And Ryan said, I'll say some hard things, but you know, I love you. I love you, but there's still something wrong with you if you don't know people that don't know Christ. You've got too consumed in a church culture. And that's what happens with Christians. The longer we are saved, the less friends that don't know Christ we have. How are we ever going to reach them if we just spend all our time in holy little huddles? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to do that, of course. But he said we must go and make disciples. You see, it's foolish to ignore the role of population in predicting how large a church will grow. If you live in a population of 1,000 people, you're not gonna have a mega church of 5,000 people. That's why it's silly to compare churches. It is silly, silly, silly. Every church is significant. So we need to define our target geographically. We need to define our target demographically. I said that, what type of people live in your area? Don't overdo it. I remember a church in our area. Um, it's not the church that you may think it is, but uh, it's a church, and they try to bring together one of the most affluent excuse me, communities in the country with one of the most poor communities in our country. And they try to bring them, they bust the poor people in, and they try to make this thing happen. It was a disaster. What age group are they in your church? You see, like Hilton, I don't even know Hilton and KZN. It's like a pretty much an old age home. People go there to retire. Four ways is different. Bedford View is different. Where are you guys from? Vestrand. It's different. We need to know what type of people live there. Of course, we, you know, God can bring all sorts and any kind of person. I remember Jack Tsui saying that uh, he was going to plant a church in Cosmos City. And people thought, why don't you plant it in the needy place, in, in the squatter camp? He said, because the Cosmos City people won't go there. But if we plant it in Cosmos, the squatter people might come to us. And we'll have money 
to do effective ministry. I learned so much from Jack Tsui. He's a good guy. We need to define our target culturally. What is the lifestyle like? What are, what are the mindset of the people that live in our area? What, what, what are their fears? I've just come from Cape Town. It's like, I was born in Cape Town. So it's an amazing place. <laughs> but uh, I asked, there must have been, I don't know how many hundred people at the equipment. I said, how many people like me were born in Cape Town? Out of say 300, there were six people. I said, when are you going to start reaching the Cape Townians? Are they clicky? You know, when we came to Joburg, we didn't want to have a fancy, slick, polished, organized church like you can get in Johannesburg. I'm from KZN. I wanted to adapt, but I wanted to keep a, like a, 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 quite a chilled vibe. But what happened, we started to draw a lot of ex-Natalians and Durbanites to our church, and then we started to reach some Joburg people, and there was an us and them. Durbanites or ex-Durbanites and Joburgers. That was a problem. We had to deal with it, and they're going to have to deal with it in Cape Town to reach some Cape Townians. Can't just be in Cape, in Cape Town only reaching ex-Joburgers. So you need to understand culturally. We can learn. If you go to foreign land, you can't come with your South African attitude. I, my wife is from Denmark and I get the opportunity to go and do equips and preach in Denmark. And they are very, when you, and I say, you have to. Nobody tells us we have to. No, but you know what I mean? You, you, we, say that we say you have to. We're not saying you have to have to. We just say you have to. It's a way we express ourselves. Don't tell us what we do. One click. We know what you know from Africa. Well, you guys are half dead. That's what we know. We've got color and vibrancy and life. We're going to bring it to you, dull Europeans. <laughs> I say that. And then they're so dull. And I say, where's your Viking spirit? And they, yeah. Because, you know, the Vikings are, and I drill them up and they get so excited. They want to like, where's my sword kind of thing? Let's chop a head off <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> But we need to understand them. You know, we were early days in the church plant and we, we geared our meetings around school holidays. Uh, one of my elders, his name is Charles, he's a black dude from Uganda. He says, why do you always gear the meetings around holidays? Do you know that us black people holiday differently to your white people? It's very true. If you've got a multicultural church and every Sunday you talk about the boca, 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 you're losing a whole lot of people. You need to define your target and understand them culturally. The same Charles. We had a partnering, NCMA partnering meeting. Now Charles is an amazing guy. He's the best preacher in our church by far, best teacher. So I'm standing here with him and one of my white pastor brothers comes up and he listens to Charles. He says, I know where you're from. And I thought, oh my goodness, this idiot is gonna make a fool of himself. So Charles looks at me and he says to this guy, so where am I from? He says, you're from Nigeria. And I just looked at Charles and we both thought the same thing. Stupid white boy. It's like, you know, one of the major barriers to church health and growth is people blindness. 
Just because he's got a different accent, he doesn't all, not every black person with a different accent comes from Nigeria. White person, just shut up, man. You just disgrace our whole race in one word. (laughs) Define your target spiritually. Do those that live around you already know the gospel? We were in peril with Valdu ex-cornerstone, and he says that most of the people there know the gospel and know Jesus. Well, they think they do because they probably grew up in the Kerk and they got sprinkled and they got confirmed and they got the clean dope and I think that's what you call it, is it right? Is it right? Sorry for my Afrikaans, I'm from KwaZulu-Natal af. And uh, but, you know, it's the same when you're talking, when I, I come from a Catholic background, so, so I'm generalizing, but most Catholic people don't know the Bible. So you, you, you talk to them, you don't say, you don't just flippantly say, you know, Moses, like, who's Moses? Is he Noah's booty? They don't know these things. So you use different language, and you understand where they are spiritually, and I, We've got some cage fighters in our church and when they invite me to their cage uh, at uh, lunch with their cage fighter friends, I don't talk or use words like penal substitutionary atonement or, or functional subordinationism. No, I talk about blood. I said, you remember that last time you were in a fight, I watched you on TV and that guy broke your head open and there was blood? Yo, don't remind me, Tony. I went to a cage fight once. The guy that was fighting was in our church and the trainer of the other guy was in our church. I wondered, who should I pray for, Lord? <laughs> you know, which one should win? It's like, just hope none of them die, kind of thing. But I'll talk blood to the guys. Like, do you know sacrifice and pain? Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, that pain you thought you went through is nothing. He understands blood. He doesn't understand substitutionary atonement. It's the same thing, but just dumb it down for a cage fight. <laughs> there could be some cage fighters here. Sorry, sir. You might be one of the intellectual guys. But I mean, who gets into a ring and... Seriously, I mean, sorry, dude. We've got a whole bunch of them. Please don't record them. They're in our church. They're going to come to me on Sunday. Oops. Okay. Define your church spiritually. Be yourself. We were talking about it. I had, I've got this, this guy. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in KZN, you ask her, when you meet somebody, one of the first things you say, what school did you go to? Because that can tell you a whole lot about the guy. You don't do, you guys, Joe Burgers don't do that. So I want to talk about a Hilton college boy. He's in our church, very intellectual, very clever. He wants to wrestle with me around the old earth, new earth theory. Now, I'm not much into that stuff. I mean, I have a position and I have a theology and I, and I love doctrine, but I don't want to wrestle for an hour on the earth's age. I'll just send him to a link. My, Michael Eaton, go read that. So I'm reading this guy and I was helping him. He's got some problems with his father, you know, some hectic issues and I'm counseling and giving him some stuff and he starts to get, he's like pushing back at me and he's, try, he's trying to intimidate me intellectually because he's a lot more intellectual than I am. He's trying to intimidate me. And I just, I had it, God gave me a strategy and I just stopped and I said, you know what? But you are, you just, 
you're so arrogant. And I just went there for the jugular. I said, you, you don't listen. That's your problem. And I started to rebuke him in the coffee shop, Humble Harry's. Not Hooters, Humble Harry's. <laughs> so other guys I take to Hooters. Now, I don't actually take anyone there. Just rub that off. I don't know why I said that. Actually, I spent a lot of time in Hooters. I'll tell you about that. For the gospel. But uh, he started to, I said, you're arrogant. You don't listen. You're a typical Hilton boy. Started to, he started to shake. He went white. He was a white guy. He went white, white, white. And his, his lips started to shake. And I just looked at his eyes and I just addressed the kind of, I don't know, I don't believe Christians can be demon possessed, but oppressed. And he like, like was, got delivered in a coffee shop. He's one of my favorite disciples at the moment. You see, you don't have to argue with people intellectually. I wanted to reach his heart, not his head. I'm a heart guy. So I dealt with his heart. He started to cry in that seat. It's one of my favorites at the moment, for now. <laughs> so I'm on point number one, I've got six. I'm not gonna get through it, I know. But I'm just gonna go through them quickly. Focus on the most receptive people. Be intentional. This look for people that are receptive. So when we first moved into the church, my wife was very disturbed that we were above Hooters. And what Hooters represents, I mean, it's a, it's a drinking hole and drunkenness and debauchery. And I mean, the, the girls there are dressed very, very, very sensually to attract men. And I, I don't know. I mean, I was in there the one time because the, I know the owner, the, the manager, and Hooters We've got an electrical cable from Hooters generator. So if our church has a blackout, we use their electricity. How cool is that? <laughs> so I was in there and this lady runs up to me with a piece of paper and her name and phone number. It's like, Are you, what's going on? Yeah. And I was in the shop with Matthew Mole. He's one of the musos. He's actually a worship leader in our church. And she says, you know, please give it to him. He was talking to the man, give it to him. So I said, that guy, he's married, man. She said, no, no, I'm a singer and I want, to, I want to sing and look for opportunity. I said, why would you want to do that? She says, who wants to work at Hooters for the rest of their life? You know, there was a church in that, in that vicinity before us, in that venue. And they made it their aim to try and convert, every Sunday, convert these girls. And make them feel bad. I was actually standing next to three of them in their little garb. On a Sunday morning, at the end of the meeting, as people were coming out, I was talking to them, and we've got a coffee shop, and I said, hey, girls, we, why don't you use our coffee shop? Don't you? Well, I said, don't you like our coffee shop? They said, we love it, but we can't use it. I said, why? He said, they said, the church will judge us. I said, they will not judge you. I got up there, and the next Sunday, I said, I said to our church, if I catch one of you trying to force these girls to become Christ followers, you will find another church the next Sunday, and I mean it. Just leave them alone. Let God work with them. They start to use our coffee shop. Every, every morning we've got, it's not really open to the public. They come in there, these girls, before they start work. They get cake. My, my wife bakes Danish, the best cake in the world. And they love our coffee and our cake. 
And then I heard that they also, through the day, they started to, to purchase food and coffee from our coffee shop, but they don't come into the coffee shop during the day. I said to the person that was running, I said, why? Is they feel embarrassed in their garb? And I thought, girls, I respect you for respecting us. I don't want you running into our coffee shop dressed like that, but you're welcome to come in there. And I'm looking for the day they get saved. And on our stage, we have some Hooters girls, but fully dressed. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? We need to love them. They're precious people. It's somebody's daughter. Somebody's granddaughter. And we look down at them. How could you dress like that? What is wrong? Do you not have any dignity? Do you not have any self-worth? So judgmental. How can we do that? These are people that don't know better. And we, the church, we snub our nose at them. We chase them away from the gospel because we think we are righteous. We are not outside of Christ. We are worse or just as bad as anybody else outside of Christ. It's only because Christ, he makes us righteous. He cleanses us. He forgives us. Amen? Without him, we're nothing. Nothing. We don't judge anybody. We love those that don't know Christ. That's our job. I'm gonna close just, we focus on the most receptive people. Let me, let me just close with a story. And then we're gonna minister to some of us. You see how it works. You reach one person. We've got so many of these relational threads in our church. I'll tell you about one of them. This one guy, his name is Andres, a little Afrikaner boy. He's a pastor, pastor son. He rocks up in our church and I, we, he loves the coffee and I get to know him. And then shortly after, he invites his, uh, have I told you the story? I've probably told you the story, but for that one person that doesn't know the story, let me tell you again. Or let me remind you, just encourage you. He invites uh, his uh, girlfriend, Katia, little Greek girl, tiny little girl. And uh, they subsequently get engaged and, and I end up doing the wedding ceremony. But besides that, Katia, they, God does an amazing work in their life. Katia, she invites her cousin, George, to the church. George comes and he has an amazing experience with God. So he thinks this is the best thing ever. He invites his, his uh, sister, Gina, who comes with her husband, Marius. And God does a work in their lives. Gina then invites her auntie Nadia to the church. We got, I said to them, no more Greeks. <laughs> they just piling in the Greeks. Auntie Nadia comes with her daughter, Natalie. They love the church. God does amazing work. The next week, Natalie brings her boyfriend, Antonio. Now we're into the Italians. Now, now Antonio. Antonio comes. God does a work in his life. He goes home. He tells his folks the next weekend, he brings his mother, Desi, his sister Claudia and his brother Stefano, they come. God does a work in their life, they go home. The father, Sava, he says, what is going on? Who's that preacher? He's lying to you. I'm gonna come check him out. Sava comes the next Sunday. God does a work in his life. Doesn't stop there. Desi has got a sister by the name of Jenny who has a husband, Paolo, daughter, Rosanna, Federica and Stefania. They all come Snot and Trana in the frontier, God's doing the work. 
They think they better bring their brother. So Desi and Jenny bring their brother, Luca and Lucia, with his children. <laughs> it just carries on and on and on. Then Sava, he's brought his, his sister, Lucia, her husband, Robbie, daughter, Gabriella, and other daughter, Mariella. Last, uh, two Sundays ago, they brought their cousin. I don't know her name, okay? I just want to encourage you. I can give you thread after thread after thread. I was just on the way here talking to Angelo Igrizzi. He was in my home group. His son is a leader in our church. Whatever you think of him, I don't care. I love him. He's repented of his sin. And he's a brother in Christ. He's brought a whole lot of people. There's a whole thread there as well. You could tell a story, I'm sure. We could all tell a story. Jesus still wants to save people, friends. Amen? And so let's pray. I want to pray for some of you. I think the musos coming up would be great. We can have some tunes in the back. But I want to pray for two. I felt the Lord nudged me to pray for two groups of people. And I'm going to ask you, I, I, I don't know if we should stand or maybe we should stand. That would just get us maybe motivated, if that's cool. So if you feel stirred by the Holy Spirit, not by anything, me, but you have a love for lost people, but a, but a specific call, you know, not just, you, we all love lost people, we all should, but you have a specific call, you think, to maybe plant a church, or maybe you feel that you've got the makings of the calling or the office of an evangelist, I want you to come up to the frontier and we're gonna lay hands upon you we, and we're gonna ask God to, to do a work and we're gonna look f you know, forward to multitudes of people getting saved. If that's you, come here. And if you're a church pastor or a church elder and you, you know, you're not seeing many people, you haven't seen people for many years get saved or cross the line of faith and you want us to lay hands upon you and just release because this is what happens. It's not our ability. We want God to move and release something in your life today. That's amazing. Young people. Got so much influence. So if you're a pastor here, yeah, we're going to get some other pastors to lay hands upon you. You guys, even you guys from just down the road there. That would be awesome. And we need some of the team guys to come. We're going to minister to you guys. We're going to trust that something radical is going to happen. Hey? And your friends, you're going to turn your schools and your universities and your neighborhoods and your workplaces up and down, upside down. But just do me one favor, please. Don't be weird. Okay? Don't go down, up and down your work office. Rabba, 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 rabba. Don't do that. Okay? Listen to people. Get to know people. Don't just go preaching at them. Spend time with them. Let them know you love them. Listen to their stories. Look for the opportunity. Trust God. Mark, we want to see our churches grow. We want to see our churches grow, don't we, friends?